Welcome to Books with Bitches. I'm Madison, and today we're going to talk about Norse mythology. As we've just finished the podcast episodes of The Witch's Heart, I thought it would be fun to go over some of the myths that were included in Kornacek's work. Now, I think I've said this before, but I will say it again. Writing a work based on mythology requires a lot of research, so big ups to any author that writes reimagined works well, and I think Gornichek follows under this category. Another thing, subject, that relates to a more humorous note is that reimagined mythologies I kind of include under the more accepted version of someone writing a fanfic. So do with that what you Now back to reimagined mythologies. I enjoy reimagined mythologies from a woman's perspective. Is that because I'm a woman? Maybe. However, I do think that seeing events from the eyes of a largely unmentioned character is always an interesting way for a reimagined mythology to be consumed. I would like to note here that I do not enjoy reading poetry most of the time, nor do I have the time right now to reread the poetic or prose eddas, so most of the reference materials that I will cite here are secondary and tertiary sources. I do think there is value in using secondary and tertiary sources, as they sometimes can provide an insight that I don't have. And that being said, it's always good to compare your secondary sources against one another to ensure there's some consistency in the sources that will ensure the accuracy of those sources. And as always, if you think I'm wrong about anything, I would love for you to talk to you. And you can get in contact with us via the Instagram at bookswbitches or email us at bookswbitches, bitches is spelled with a one at gmail.com. With that, let's talk about Norse mythology. In the common vein of all things mythology, why do wars ever start? Why women, of course. Whether it's because she's hopelessly beautiful, powerful, dangerous, or overtly sexual, etc., it always comes down to a woman, at least in mythology it does, i.e. see the Trojan War. In real life, it's religion, oil, or general assholery. Why? I don't know. Men like to stab things and blame other things to get away with it. In the first couple pages of The Witch's Heart, we're given a very brief rundown of the creation myth of Norse mythology, and that gives us the world, and in that, it references Gullvig as a wandering, powerful witch that taught Odin sleep. That being said, she was obviously too powerful to stay alive, so they stabbed her and burned her at the stake three times. Each time Gullvig is reborn, she's reborn more powerful. Gullvig is also said to be the first death in Norse mythology, and this starts the Aesir Vanu War. Ergo, another war started because of a woman. In the source material, it notes that Golvig is beautiful, is a beautiful and powerful witch, something we don't hear in the witch's heart at all. In fact, we actually hear the opposite from Angerboda, as she compares herself to Sigyn. No one describes Golvig or Angerboda as beautiful in Gornichek's work. Logically, we can assume Angerboda isn't beautiful because she's been burned so many times, but I really don't believe that. As the Aesir recognize Angerboda as Gullvig in later scenes in the book. And she's a powerful being, so who is to say she can't heal herself? Is this detail left out because Gornichek didn't want us to acknowledge the fact, or is it that women who recognize their beauty are inherently seen at minimum vain and at worst seen as an evil seductress? Another interesting thing about the witch's heart and other media like this that take inspiration from North mythology is the vast amount of scholars that have interpreted the source material. 
Connections can be drawn largely because it's a weird mythology and stuff, but like Gaelic or Celtic mythologies, where the majority of the source materials have been destroyed in order to promote more palatable Abrahamic mythologies. We can talk more about how religion itself is the basis of mythology, but again, I don't want another phone call from my mother, so we'll move on to a different point. Other points of views in secondary sources will draw connections between Golvig and Freya. Golvig literally means golden drink, or drink can be interpreted as intoxication or power. Gold seems to be the key point in the name given. What goddess is always depicted or relates to gold in Norse mythology? Surprise, it's Freya. From her golden hair to her golden tears, it's Freya. On norse-mythology.org, authored by Daniel McCoy, on the A.C. Venier War page, he states that Freya is the foremost practitioner of Sayird. Here, we also see the association of Hyde, Angerboda's old woman form that we see in The Witch's Heart, is referenced, but it is in association with Freya, or rather, Golvig. On this page, we see McCoy depict the tragic downfall of Golvig, where she is killed because of others' wants for their own power slash selfishness and is killed by fire three times and reborn again from those ashes, much like a phoenix in Chinese mythology, which guess what? A phoenix is also related to women, which guess what? Phoenixes are also associated with women. Women are tied to fire as it's seen because it's seen as a destructive force. Are they tied to fire because it's seen as a hearth and a necessity to life and comforts? Why is rebirth from fire a reoccurring theme in different mythologies, both relating to women? This may be a subject to revisit another time. We could talk about why hearts are also seen as the focal point of the soul in many mythologies, but again, a subject for another time. However, speaking of hearts, on to Loki and the heart-eating thing. Loki and Angerboda meet for the first time in the Ironwood in the Witch's Heart. This is because in several reference materials, there's actually connect Golvig to Angerboda, and Angerboda is connected to the Ironwoods, and Angerboda is Mother Witch. But also Freya's handmaiden in another translation, who also betrays her. And maybe she also taught Freya Sayyid in that other source material where she then betrayed Freya and gave her to the giants. I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> Again, I will have all the sources listed in the description, like I did in the Song of Achilles episode. Now onto the heart thing. This is from the Poetic Edda. Uh, Loki beget the wolf with Angerboda, but Schlepnir beget with Sedifir. One monster seemed of most deadly, which from Bialist brother sprang. Loki ate the heart, a little burnt, he found half-scorched the woman's life stone. Now, there is some talk about this heart-eating thing. Obviously, we, as I just read in the Poetic Edda, it says that Loki ate the heart. Is that metaphorical? Maybe, maybe not. Now, if it is not metaphorical, GermanicMythology.com says that Loki actually eats Angerboda's heart the three times that she's burned at the stake, implying that all of Angerboda's and Loki's children are born after she dies each time because the heart is Angerboda's core and when Loki eats it, it wakens his feminine side and thus he's able to give birth to the children. Eating's one heart also has some symbolism. If the heart is seen as the core, 
Loki could have consumed the heart to gain power, or as others seem to think that consuming the flesh of a lost loved ones is the ultimate romantic gesture. Now, are we advocating for cannibalism? I guess, if we can absorb someone's power through, or if it's an act of love. And yes, it is very weird. And yes, I do think it's very interesting. But this is where thing, I think things get a little dicey. Because if this part in the Poetic Edda says that Loki ate the heart three times, obviously it's a reference to Golvig, but then Loki's giving birth to Angerboda's children. Do we see the disconnect here? So the question is, whose heart did he eat? And here we have the link from Angerboda to Golvig. Both are associated with dying by fire and being reborn three times. So I think this gives Angerboda more of a credence to be connected to Golvig versus Freya. But if you think I'm wrong, you can DM me, email me, we'll talk about it, argue about it, have a discussion, whatever you want. Now, this is a metaphor. It somewhat makes more sense as somehow when Loki eats the heart, she's still somehow be able to be reborn. But to me, that doesn't make sense since he's literally eating the core of her. We'll talk about eating the core or giving the core to someone else later. And that doesn't make sense because question mark, wouldn't she not be reborn again? So now that we have established the link between Golvig and Angerboda, we have the link to Golvig's other forms that were referenced earlier in the witch's heart that we can go over later as well. Onto the stories of um, Norse mythology. Gornachuk does do a good job of encompassing both the poetic and prose Edda and the witch's heart. The witch's heart starts... I assume after or during the Aesir Vanir War, because it is Golvig's death that caused it. While we get to see Scotty and a lot of the witch's heart, Angerboda and Scotty are not associated with each other in any of the Norse stories. This could be because Angerboda is only mentioned in name once in each of the Eddas. However, it could also be what mythology is usually written about. And that would be war, hijinks, things to explain around the world, and a relationship between two women or like a friendship between two women isn't highlighted. So why would they write about it? From what we was saved from the Eddas, it really just ranges from the wars, the hijinks, and the occasional explanations of the world like the salmon thing. So it could be something that was overlooked or destroyed. The next story that we have in the witch's heart is the fortification of Asgard. And that is when Loki turns himself into the mare and we know what happens then. And I don't feel the need to really go over the myths because Warnicek did do a good job of summarizing them from Loki's point of view in the book. But since they're from Loki's point of view, the name of the myth isn't included most of the time. So I'll just put those in here and interject my discrepancies that I found and have point out different viewpoints that were there. In the same vein of following the events that did happen in the book, we get the unique view that we get to experience the kidnapping of Idun from both Loki and Scotty's point of view. Of course, this is the kidnapping following the kidnapping of Idun is the marriage of Nord and Scotty. And like in The Witch's Heart, we see this is where Scotty voices her extreme dislike for Loki and her desire to castrate him because of the whole walnut thing. And it's Loki's fault that her dad's dead. Now, this is where we run into some discrepancies in The Witch's Heart and the Eddas. On McCoy's website, norse-mythology.org, in what I assume is the most accepted order of the stories, 
Next is the binding of Fenrir. McCoy does, however, acknowledge that Norse mythology doesn't really have a clear order, other than that we know that the creation myth is the first and Ragnarok is the last, so there's no clear order in the myths. However, this makes an interesting jumping off point for someone who wants to adapt or write a reimagined mythology work where they have the freedom to kind of rearrange these myths into an order that fits their storyline, which is what we see Gornachek do. The order that McCoy has listed on his website after the Fenrir's Binding is obviously we have Fenrir's Binding and that's followed by Fishing for Jorgamund, Thor cross-dressing, which is usually seen as another name you can imagine, Thor's duel with hunger, the death of Boulder, Loki bound, and Ragnarok. So all of them happen in a very fast succession like we also see in the witch's heart. From what I remember from Gornachek's work, mainly keeps to this order, but she moves Fenrir's binding and fishing for Jorgamund later in the mythology listing course. So we get to see Angra Boda and Loki interact under the Thor's cross-dressing myth. There also may be some weird timeline stuff between the creation myth and the Aesir Vanir war with Goldie, but there's not a lot of in the source there's not a lot in the source material other than random mentions of things regarding the witch's heart. Another thing I keep finding inconsistencies is the birth order of the children. Gornachek has Hel being the oldest and Jorgamon being the youngest. However, in other sources, they actually have Hel listed as the youngest and either having Fenrir or Jorgamond as the oldest. There's discrepancies in the description of Hel. However, they're not really discrepancies if we think about the way that it's said. The difference is, is because the source material simply says she's half dead. However, it does not specify where she's half dead or how. So you can see online there's going, there is a plethora of artwork depicting Hell. I think Gornachek chose to make Hell's lower body dead because it's easier to hide Hell's quote-unquote monstrous nature. She can still be perceived as beautiful and normal, so much so that when Anger Boda finally gets to talk to Hell again, she absolutely disassociates so much from being called a monster because she had, at the time, appeared to be normal, just a little girl, which wouldn't have happened if she was dead longitudinally or something. This leads me to the next topic, the children. The story of the children actually dates back further from their birth. Obviously, their existence was doomed from the start, unfortunately. Let's talk about everyone's favorite misogynist, murder-hungry, or one-eyed bastard, conniving Odin. Odin, for being such a bastard, is resourceful and an interesting character to talk about. His pursuit of knowledge is admirable. Not many people are willing to sacrifice themselves to themselves, but, you know, there's some not admirable things that he does, such as murdering a woman because you want more power, and because she has that power, and, you know, stabbing her, burning at her at the stakes three times, you know, have some boundaries, have some respect. Oh, wait, he doesn't have that because even in The Witch's Heart, Marie and I talked about this in the Buzzed Review, Odin literally violates Angerboda to get what he wants. Now, if I put aside all the gripes I have about Odin, we can talk about his methods of obtaining knowledge and wisdom. There really isn't a limit for Odin when it comes to being all-knowing. He plucks out his eyeball and tosses it into a well to down a well to drink from the well of Erd to be all-knowing. He sacrifices his lower self to his higher self on Yggdrasil and stabs himself and starves himself 
to gain knowledge of the runes and their map. However, we see that Ingerboda in the Witch's Heart also uses runes. While she sees herself as weaker and inferior to Odin, she's obviously a threat to him, which is why he's killed her three times initially and then kills her yet again. Ingerboda or Golvi could be considered his equal, but she's a woman, so obviously it's mythology, so she has to be seen as evil. Odin's quest for knowledge and wisdom is his ultimate downfall. It is implied that Odin caused Ragnarok to happen. Angerboda even says this in The Witch's Heart. When taking the children away from Angerboda and then killing Angerboda arguably upsets Loki. Even in the Eddas, we can assume the Aesir taking Loki's children and separating them would generally make someone upset. Loki's original antics seem to be in the name of entertainment, his entertainment for the record, and fun. However, your blood brother's son killed and then sabotaging his resurrection and going as far as to name your daughter when he's asked to return to him, we can argue that he was mad. And really, who wouldn't be? Going back to the children, Taking the children to prevent them from ending the world causes Loki to get mad and gets Balder killed. Odin knew that binding Fenrir would give Fenrir the opportunity to break those bonds and throwing Jorgamund into the ocean literally puts Jorgamund in the ocean so he can flood the world. Then putting Hel in Helheim literally puts her in the underworld where she can resurrect the dead and storm Asgard. Now, Anger Boda near the end of the books, comes to the realization that perhaps he, Odin, accelerated Ragnarok on purpose to resurrect Boulder by setting the scene. This might be true, and it seems in line with Odin's schemes. However, with Gornicek's timeline, there could be arguments against this. Gornicek has the children taken at very young ages. While there is no fixed timeline in Norse mythology, as previous mentioned, doing this to the children when they are so young would only cause Ragnarok to happen earlier, in my opinion. However, it doesn't. We can assume with Hel's age in the latter parts of the book, she is a young woman or even a teenager, minimum 10 years, 20 years at max. But who knows, because they're immortal beings and it's mythology and it's weird. Anyway, who is to say that after the children got older, they wouldn't leave that ironwood and wreak havoc on the world and cause problems for the Aesir. Surely there's, there would have been myths about that, but we don't see them in the source material. We could argue that Angerboda wouldn't raise her children to act like that, and that might not be so. Even though Angerboda is a pacifist, it doesn't mean her children would be too, especially with a father like Loki and with the Aesir and the giants always being at each other's throats. Keep in mind, the Aesir also see Angerboda or by extension, Golvig, and all the other giants as evil in general, so they're always going to have that pitted against them. Also, keep in mind the absolutes that we see in Angerboda's predictions, or if we want to get go back to the source material, the prophecies that are there in the Eddas. Things in the vision will always happen no matter what, so we know from the start the children were always doomed. Okay, let's talk more about Angerboda and her many names in The Witch's Heart. We have established a link between Golvig and Angerboda, and this helps to establish the link between all the other identities that Gornicek has given Angerboda in The Witch's Heart. Golvig has also been called Hyde, or Golvig-Hyde, in some of the other sources, which means Hyde, meaning Bright One, which is the name that Angerboda is given as she wanders around the realm to figure out who she is. 
When Angerboda goes to visit Hell, she's approached by Odin in disguise. In the Eddas, this form is referred to as Hyrokin, which means withered by fire, McCoy. This is likely referring to Golby, the powerful dead seer, who is, has been withered by fire. This follows the source material as we can link Angerboda to being in Hell's realm and to see Scotty again at Baldur's funeral as Hyrokin is the one summoned because she is the one who foretold Baldur's death. Now, there is an interesting link that isn't mentioned in The Witch's Heart, maybe because it's weird. And when I was reading it, I kind of got confused as well. But in the Volspina, it refers to three powerful giant maidens. Angerboda happens to be one of them. This is also where Angerboda is referred to as Freya's handmaiden that later betrays her. But this handmaiden is also referred to as Gerd's mother, who then bewitched Frey into marrying her daughter Gerd. And this somehow justifies killing Angerboda slash Golvig because she's an evil sorceress who does evil things like bewitching men and betraying Freya. I think that Gornichuk made a sound decision and not to not add this connection in her book because it not only muddles the storyline that she has laid out, but also from the Aesir's point of view, it kind of further justifies her being murdered, even though the arguments made aren't really sound to begin with. Speaking of Gerd and Angerboda's connection, let's talk about the non-canon romance of Angerboda and Scotty. This is the kind of slow burn romance that I could kind of get behind. While Angerboda might not have noticed her friend's affection until Loki brings it up and has abandoned her, Scotty's affection can be seen throughout the book. While their friendship starts with a, as a business venture, even from their first meeting, I think they get a little too close to for comfort. <laughs> Who invites their a business associate immediately into their house for rabbit stew or invites them to stay the winter with you? Scotty's inherent dislike for Angerboda's husband, before she even knows it was Loki, can show her interest in Angerboda, as well as Scotty's questioning if Angerboda's children are even her husband's to begin with. This might be me speculating, but I do think that these are instances sprinkled throughout the story as the start of their romance, or at least Scotty's interest, which I admit, I initially wrote off as them being best friends. It becomes more obvious when Scotty and Loki get to a fight about Angerboda. Again, might be speculating, but some criticisms from others on Amazon and Goodreads through the reviews say that romance, the romance comes out of nowhere. However, it doesn't. It's just very subtle. All right, bitches, last topic here. The aftermath of Ragnarok. There is something of note when it comes to Ragnarok and its aftermath. First, we have to acknowledge that Abrahamic influence has changed the ending of Ragnarok where there is a pseudo-Jesus figure present added as a way to influence the acceptance of Christianity in Scandinavian or possibly Germanic and Baltic countries. The question is, who survives Ragnarok? Obviously, Balder and his brother Hod are both resurrected. Were they initially resurrected? The, the big god's kid, loved by, loved and cherished by all and virtually perfect in every, any way? Is he Jesus? Maybe. Could be influence, could come from the initial myth, we don't know. Other survivors also include their brother Vidar, Thor's son, Maggie and Modi, Honir, Njord, the daughter of Sol, and two humans, Lif and Lif and Seer, which could also be a reference to Adam and Eve. Is there something that you noticed when I was reading all those names out? 
there is little mentioned of any goddesses that survived with the exception of Sol's daughter because, in fact, most worlds need a son to survive. We could count her, but we can't because the son got eaten. We need a new son again. So the sun, the disappearance of the sun is an important event. It, the sun cannot disappear. <laughs> so what happened to all the goddesses in Ragnarok? It's not recorded. This is why Gornachek would play a little bit and save Hell in her novel and have her and Boulder connected at the end of her book. Now, do I like that Angerboda, despite being killed by fire before, doesn't survive this time? No, I don't think it makes sense if we relate it to the source material, but we'll get back to my core question that I had earlier. But we do see that Angerboda takes her heart out and puts it in hell. So it would make sense that she can't survive this time because she doesn't have her life stone. Despite my gripes about how this should have been her ninth life and therefore should have survived, placing her core in her daughter to save her is a heartwarming ending. And I really do like the ending of this book, minus the part where the boys are missing. Where are they? They don't want to haunt the Ironwood with Angerboda and watch their nibblings grow up. Where are the other ghosts? That's it. If you want to know more about Norse mythology um, and you haven't read it, I recommend reading The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Kornacek. Or you can check out the links below that I have, which are um, secondaries and tertiary sources, or you can read the poetic and prose eddas. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at BooksWBitches, where our DMs are always open, and follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or want to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to email us at BooksWBitches, bitches is spelled with a one, at gmail.com. Um, we will see you next time when Maria is back and reading the first section of My Year and Relaxation by Otisam Manta. Or... It will be me in Unhinged episodes. We're not really sure. Maria is really busy right now. So um, just kind of keep an eye out for whatever we come out with. Bye.